Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1 this evening. I want to ask you a question. When you think about the call to ministry, what comes to mind? The call to ministry. You might think about some biblical scenes. Moses standing at a burning bush as God called him to a special task of setting his people free from the enslavement in Egypt. You might think of one of the prophets, maybe the prophet Isaiah, who's in the temple of the Lord, and he sees the glory of the Lord in front of him, and he sees the angel, the cherubim, worshiping the Lord as holy, 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 and then he's, he's purged of his sins, and, and then the question comes, whom shall I send, and who will go for me? And Isaiah says, here am I, Lord, send me. Maybe think of New Testament examples. There's the Apostle Paul, the zealous persecutor of the church, on the road to Damascus, continuing his enterprise of trying to subject the church to as much pain as possible. And when he's on that road, the the resurrected Lord and Savior himself, Jesus Christ, just smites him out of heaven on the road there and calls him to himself and then to gospel ministry. As the president of International Baptist College and Seminary, I have the privilege of talking in particular to young men who are called into pastoral or gospel ministry. And in all of the time that I've been the president of the college, now maybe it was different for Dr. T when he was the president of the college or for Pastor Ending, but in all of those years as I've talked to young men, I've yet to meet a young man called to gospel ministry who was called at a burning bush or was on a journey somewhere and got smitten from on high or saw a cherubim with tongs of burning coals. Those are the biblical scenes that we think of when we think of the call to ministry. And yet in this dispensation, with the canon of Scripture completed, I think that the call to ministry has taken on a different uh, approach. A different, there's a different way in which God is calling people to ministry. In fact, I'll admit that my call to ministry is somewhat uh, tamer than those. Our church in Kenya was growing, and on a Sunday morning, the auditorium was just full. There was no room for extra people, and about half of our congregation were kids. And so somewhere along the line, myself or my dad or my mom came up with the idea of, why don't we start a junior church, and Nathan can teach the kids. That was my call to ministry. (laughs) You got the kids. They're headed over there. They need someone to go with them. So I was, I think I was 13. Uh, I preached for the very first time in Swahili. I memorized my whole message in Swahili. And just as I started to deliver my message, we had just a downpour of rain. And I was in a banda, which we call them in, in Kenya, we call them bandas, just a, just a structure with a, with a metal roof. And it was pouring rain. You would have had to have been standing about 18 inches away from me to hear a single Word And I was screaming my memorized Swahili sermon at the top of my lungs. And I don't think anybody heard it. <laughs> but in those years of doing those, that children's ministry within the context of our church there in Kenya, I really grew to enjoy the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. I decided when I was 13 or 14 years old that there are two ways you can go to church. You can go to church and you can be the people sitting and listening Or you can go to church and be the guy that gets to stand up and talk. And one of those is way more interesting than the other. And so that is the call to ministry for Pastor Nathan. (laughs) No, not quite. There's more to it than that. But that time of teaching those kids in that church in Kenya and the, the context that I was in within that local church is where the desire and the abilities and the gifts of ministry were being developed. And so today, I would like to talk to you from the book of 1 Timothy about the biblical components of the call to ministry. What are the biblical components of the call to ministry? Now, I realize that on a Sunday night at Tri-City Baptist Church that we have the faithful that are here. 
and that you're committed to the church. That's why you're here on a Sunday night. And that it may be that the majority of my audience is not a young man who's contemplating full-time Christian vocational ministry. But I think that it's vital for us as a church to understand what the call to ministry looks like in this day and age. And for us to be able to ground what the call to ministry is within the text of Scripture. I would like to have young men in particular who are called to gospel ministry who ground their call to ministry in what the Scripture says, not in an experience that they had. And for us, as Tri-City Baptist Church, here's something I want us to understand. In this dispensation, the call to ministry takes place in the context of the local church. Let me say that again, because this is a central premise to this message this evening. In this dispensation, the call to ministry takes place not on a hillside, not in a mountaintop, not at a burning bush, not on a road to Damascus, but in this day and age, the call to ministry takes place within the context of the local church. By the grace of God, Tri-City Baptist Church will be a place where young people, and if, you're a, if you consider yourself a young person, you're in that category, okay? Where young people are called to gospel ministry. And God has given Tri-City Baptist Church a calling and a mission to be a place where men and women preparing for ministry come to prepare. And so of all places, this place needs to understand the components of the call to ministry. So I want us to walk through this biblically. What are the components of the call to ministry? 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to start reading in the first verse. We're just going to read a few verses here, and we'll kind of be surveying First and 2 Timothy, mostly in 1 Timothy. We'll also jump over to Ephesians a little bit, but let's start reading. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1 says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, as we open up First uh, Timothy, Second Timothy, as we glance at Ephesians, I pray that the biblical text here would inform us of the work that you're doing, of calling people today into ministry. And I pray for everyone in the audience that this message would be important and valued because it is within the context of the local church that you're calling people to ministry and preparing them for ministry. So I pray that this message would be used for your purpose for it. We know that when your word goes out, it does not return empty, void in its purpose. So accomplish your purpose with your word this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to see what I believe is the first component of the call to ministry. Look at verse 3 that we just read. Paul is talking to Timothy and he says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Here's the storyline. Paul was going to Macedonia. There was a church that had been founded in Ephesus. Ephesus was a large city with a large population. There was a successful church that had been planted there. That church had grown out of a lot of adversity. There had been a lot of opposition in the city of Ephesus. But by God's grace, there is a thriving church at the city of Ephesus. But that church is not free from problems. As Paul goes on to Macedonia, he's not leaving Timothy with an easy assignment. And you can see this straight away. Remain in Ephesus. Why? Because there are problems there. That you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. There was a problem in the church of people who were teaching things that were not accurate to Scripture. Then he says in verse 4, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies. 
Now, there's a lot of debate about what the fables and endless genealogies are specifically, but in the context, we get a clue. These are things that maybe are not doctrinal errors, but while they're not doctrinal errors, they are distractions. Because look what it says in the rest of verse 4. These fables and endless genealogies, what do they do? Verse 4, they cause disputes. These are the things that cause disruption within the body of Christ. And it says there, they cause disputes rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. I want you to take note of that term, that phrase, which cause disputes rather than godly edification. I want you to, if you take notes, underline that and cross-reference something in the side of your Bible, because if we're going to understand what this first component is of the call to ministry, we're going to have to understand that phrase, godly edification. The word godly edification in Greek is used in a couple of other important passages. Keep your finger here in 1 Timothy, and I want you to go back to the book of Ephesians. This is the book written to the same church, the church that Timothy is now pastoring. And remember that Paul was Timothy's mentor. He had spent time, lots of time with Paul. And so he would have been used to Paul's terminology. And so the word, the Greek word, that's in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4, that's translated in our English Bibles as godly edification, is used multiple other times in Paul's writings. One of them is in Ephesians chapter 1, and verse 10. And we're going to have to fill out what that word means that's in 1 Timothy with the information we get from, F, from Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 10 says this, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. That word dispensation is the same Greek word that's translated over in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4, as godly edification. Okay, now turn to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 2. I want you to see another occurrence of the same Greek word. Ephesians chapter 3. I'll start reading in verse 1, but we're going to see the word in verse 2. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for your Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of of the grace of God which was given to me for you. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10 the dispensation is the work that God is doing in the in the history. It's this great work that God is doing in history. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 2 he uses the same word and he's talking about the unique task that Paul himself had been given. And if you want to read the rest of Ephesians 3 it was the great task of being appointed as the apostle to the Gentiles. He was the, the apostle that was going to take the gospel of Jesus Christ in a unique and particular way to Gentile people. God had done something unique with Paul. Paul was probably the most Jewish person on the planet. And yet God had selected him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And Paul had gone out in the power of God with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the gospel was impacting the world. The book of Acts tells us the gospel was literally turning the world upside down. Ephesus was one of the places that the gospel had shaken to its very foundation. You should go back sometime and read in the book of Acts the descriptions of the power of the gospel in the city of Ephesus. The gospel had so impacted that city that people were out in the streets burning their books of magic. You remember those stories? And Paul's saying, this is, this is the dispensation that I've been entrusted with. This word, okay, back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, this word that Paul is using is a word that Timothy would have heard from Paul's lips many times as he had traveled with Paul as part of this great enterprise that Paul was a part of. He would have heard this word. And we really need to import that definition into 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 4. And I think we could suggest, I would suggest a better translation than this phrase, godly edification. Here's what, here's what Paul is literally saying. I'm going to leave you in Ephesus. There's false doctrine. 
there are these fables and endless genealogies. And these fables and endless genealogies are causing disputes rather than furthering the administration or enterprise of God. The administration and enterprise of God is really what that phrase means. My friends, here's what Paul is saying. Okay, well, let me say this first. Here's what Paul is not saying. Paul is not saying that these fables and disputes aren't building the church up. Although that's probably true. I imagine that these fables and genealogies where they're bringing disputes weren't that edifying for the body. But that's not what this phrase means. Here's what it means. These fables and genealogies are distracting the church from the great enterprise that God is doing in this world right now. My friends, what is the great enterprise that God is doing in this world right now? What is the program that God is running right now? My friends, that program is the church. You can go back to the book of Ephesians again and see this. But this is marvelous as the book of Ephesians unfolds what God is doing. God is doing a marvelous work in this world through His Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came into this world, took upon Himself the form of a man, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, was buried, three days later rose again. He's ascended, Paul tells us in, in Ephesians chapter 1. He's, a, he's ascended to the right hand of God the Father, far above all principalities and powers. And my friends, when Jesus got to the right hand of God the Father in heaven, the Father looked to the Son and said, Son, I've got a job for you. Please be the head of the church. What is Jesus doing in heaven right now? He is running this grand enterprise called the church. I, I, I don't know if you noticed, but as you came into church this evening, you didn't have to fight your way through the news cameras to get in here. There wasn't a traffic jam in Jermaine. Did you notice no traffic jam? There's not a Goodyear blimp flying overhead. And so you might get the impression that what's happening in this room is not a big deal. But you'd be wrong. Just because the news isn't covering what's happening here, I've got news for you. What is happening in this room tonight matters. You know why? Because we're the church. And Christ is the head of the church. This is the program that God is running. God cares way more about what's happening in these Awana rooms where kids are being presented with the gospel and learning biblical truth and members of Tri-City Baptist Church are using their gifts and their abilities to serve and minister. God cares way more about the fact that you're sitting and listening to the proclamation of the gospel than about anything going on in D.C. or Hollywood right now. Because, my friends, this is the church. This is what God is doing God is busy through His Son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of His Spirit, of drawing men to His Son through the Gospel, uniting people who would not otherwise be united together in this church. And here's what Paul is telling Timothy. I'm going to leave you in Ephesus, and you've got a job to do. I want you to wrestle the church away from false doctrine, fables, and endless genealogies and wrestle them back to the main thing, which is the administration or enterprise that God is running and working. Are you guys with me tonight? Genealogies, endless speculations, and fables distract the church from the main thing. In many ways, I just described the church over the last couple years. And not to meddle, but maybe to meddle. Can I, can I tell you, I know that there are lots of different opinions about lots of things that have happened over the last couple years. And that all across the country, I've, I travel quite a bit, and I've seen it all across the country where there are churches that are disputing with each other about things that aren't about the grand enterprise that God is doing. 
People fighting about whether to get a vaccination or not get a vaccination. Oops. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and people are fighting with each other about that. Now, I'm not saying that those issues aren't important. I'm just saying that those things are not what God is doing in this world, and we get distracted away from those things. And they're not furthering what God is doing. We get distracted from the gospel enterprise that God has given us by these endless genealogies, fables, things that cause disputes rather than furthering what God is doing in this world. By the way, I'm really interested in your opinion on whether to get vaccinated or not vaccinated. So if you could please email those opinions to me, I'd appreciate that. That's at ken.ending <laughs> at tricityministries.org. That's, again, that's Nathan spelled with a K-E-N <laughs> dot ending. I hope he's watching the live stream. Pastor Ken, I hope you're watching. Should really fill up his inbox. He would love that. That would teach him. <laughs> to go away. Take a vacation. Yeah, right. My friends, I hope you're hearing my heart. Do you know what the first component is of the call to biblical ministry? It's a commitment to the thing that God is doing in this world, which is building his church. I've got good news for you. There are lots of people who have a commitment to gospel enterprise, to the work of the church, who are not called to ministry. I know many, many, many people. Some of the most faithful Christians I know, some of the most faithful, faithful church people I know are people who God has not called to vocational full-time ministry. You can share this first component without being called to full-time vocational ministry, but please hear what I'm saying. I don't know anybody who has been called to pastoral ministry who doesn't have a burning commitment, a passionate commitment to what God is doing in this world through the church. It'd be really hard to be a pastor and not committed to the work of the church. When a pastor wakes up in the morning, he needs to know that what he is doing that day is not about what he is doing that day. It's about what he is doing that day. And when we step into pastoral ministry, we are signing ourselves up for the cosmic, to be part of the cosmic plan of God. And someone who is called to ministry has to have a commitment to that. And can I just say as an aside, my friends, as someone who has been in pastoral ministry, that it is a joy when you are leading a congregation of people who get that. It is a joy when you're leading people who understand that the church is not about them. The church is about reaching a world that desperately needs the Savior. It's a joy to lead people who know that when they show up on Sunday, it's not about their needs being met. It's about looking to meet the needs of the, the, needs of the other people that have gathered. That is a joy. And so you can serve well your pastoral team when you renew your commitment to the great work that God is doing in this world through the church. Component one, a commitment to the gospel enterprise through the church. But I want you to see something else. Chapter three, chapter three, First Timothy chapter three. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. Bishop is being used there as a synonym, another title for a pastor. A pastor, an overseer, a bishop must be blameless. And then we get a list of character traits. A bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospital, apt to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules well his own house, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into condemnation, into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Can I encourage you to read through, just scan through right here as you're sitting, scan through that list. 
the list of the character traits of the pastor. My friends, can I say this? The call to pastoral ministry, to gospel ministry, is never a call absent the call to character and holiness. But my friends, it is not just pastors who are called to Christ-like character. There's something in this list for virtually all of us. Now, this, this is not a universal list. It's not a universal list for all Christians. For instance, verse 6 says that the pastor can't be a novice. Okay, So there are some things here that are limiting down to a man who is chosen to lead the congregation. Uh, we see here that the, the leadership of the church is limited to men. We believe that, that the Bible limits the leadership of the church and home to men. And that's why it says here he has to be the husband of one wife. So there are some things here that don't apply to absolutely everyone. If you're a newly saved person, it's not your fault that you're a novice. God's also not calling you to be the pastor next week. Okay? But all of us are called to multiple aspects of things that are in here. It's not like, oh, I'm not the pastor, so I can be quarrelsome. Right? I'm not the pastor. So I don't have to have people over to the house. I don't have to be hospitable. I don't have to be gentle. I can be greedy, right? That's not how this list works, right? You know, I've often talked to young men and said, I don't know if God is calling you to be a pastor, but it would not hurt you at all to pursue this list in terms of your personal character. It's something God's calling us to. And I'll, I'll commit, I'll be very transparent with you. I'll, I'll just admit that as I read through this list, some of them kind of zing me. There are some things in this list, woof, I read them and like, you, I can just feel the Spirit calling me, Nathan, you can improve, you can grow in that area. The demand on a pastor is not that he has all of these things in perfection, but the call to the pastor is that these things are in him and they are growing. That, that a pastor's not taking on water in one of these areas. He's got some consistency and he's growing in these things. No one could come to him on any of these things and say, got you on that one. So the call to ministry is the call to Christ-like holiness. There, there, you can't have one without the other. I have met young men who, who demonstrate the, the skills of being a pastor. They, they, they can stand up and, and can just speak in front of a crowd and hold everyone's attention. They have dynamic, charismatic personalities. But then you begin to scratch beneath the surface of their character and it's lacking. And you can say with confidence, this person is not called to ministry because they lack the character. God cares about character. Here's my life, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Here's my life, Lord. Fill it up, Lord. This is a song we sometimes sing about the, the call to ministry. And I just think, my dad used to say this when he preached, we ought to add a stanza. Here's my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Here's my cup, Lord. Clean it up, Lord. God wants to use you. But God will use a clean vessel before he uses a fancy vessel. The call to ministry is a call to Christ-like holiness. I want you to go to number three. I think this one's really cool. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 18. Paul, talking to Timothy, says this. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. I think that's cool. There was like, Timothy showed up at church and someone had a prophecy about him being a pastor. I wish that had happened to me. I want you to look at chapter 4 and verse 14. This one's interesting. We're going to see a string of verses here. I want to link together a thread. Chapter 4 and verse 14. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. How does he have that gift? Which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. In other words, the laying, hands, laying on of the hands of the pastors. 
there's a gift that Timothy has. Prophecy and the laying on of hands of the eldership. Turn to 2 Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. I think Paul is referencing the same, uh, the same thing here. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6. What does he say here? Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through, through the laying on of my hands. So you have this really interesting dynamic here. Uh, pe- Timothy, people have prophesied about you and your call to ministry. You've had the laying on of the hands of the presbytery and a gift in you by prophecy. And then he says, stir up that gift that is in you, which is yours because of the laying on of my hands. Now, I believe that Timothy, and in the New Testament era, we see this in the book of Acts. We see reference to this in other places in the New Testament, that there were actual active prophets in the church. There was a gift of prophecy to the church. This is what Paul is talking about when he gets to 1 Corinthians and he talks about the gift of prophecy, it shall cease. Right? But it's active there during the New Testament era. So I do believe that Timothy had an experience with people prophesying of him, actually laying on of hands, and that there was a, a unique, dynamic uh, experience related to his call to ministry. And I do believe because the New Testament canon is complete, I don't believe that a young man called to ministry should expect to have that same kind of Timothy experience. But there's still a principle in those verses that we just read that we should not walk away from. I said earlier that the context for the call to ministry is the local church. And what we have in these passages, the common principle that I think still applies today, is that we have a recognition of the gifts of ministry by the body, by the church, and by its leaders. Tri-City Baptist Church needs to be a place where young people who are interested in ministry have the chance to practice and try it out a little. We ought to have venues and places within our church where, where we hand over the lesson, we hand over the pulpit, we give young people a chance to exercise and see whether they have the gifts of ministry. And, and let me just speak plainly to you as the, the president of International Baptist College uh, this, me- this, this message is a little self-serving, but I thought for our core group on a Sunday night, I would just lay this out for you. We need to embrace the mission that God has given Tri-City Baptist Church and the unique strategic position that we have been given where we have young people come here from all over the country, and particularly in the West, to prepare for ministry. And we ought to be willing to let these young people try out the gifts of ministry here at Tri-City Baptist Church. You know what that means? That means that you might not always get the best message. You might get the message that an 18-year-old preaches for the first time. I, I, I remember preaching that message in Swahili for the first time. I, I'd written it out, I had manuscripted, I had memorized it, and then I screamed it at the top of my lungs in Swahili. And my 25-minute message was done in exactly four minutes. You know, I was like, what are we going to do with the rest of the time? We just rotate kids out, you know, put, them in, put a new set of kids in the first row, because only the first row heard the message anyway, so I'll just preach it again to this group. You know, this might be, this might be stunning to you, <laughs> but the great preachers you're thinking about who have been preaching for 30 years, had their first message. And it wasn't good. (laughs) I promise you it wasn't good. But he preached that message, that famous preacher that you're thinking about, that you love to listen to, at some point preached his first message. And you know where he did it? He did it in a local church. And there were some kind people that listened to that message, went up to him afterwards and encouraged him. And there were probably some, some mentors around that said, you know, that was, that was really good. Usually we preach for, you know, a little longer than that, but that was good effort. And, 
And I could help you with a little... You know, when I first showed up at IBC, I, I would go down to Friendship Village every Sunday. Went with John Doney. Mrs. Doney had pictures of us. John Doney and I, he would play the trumpet, I would preach. Even when I was preaching at the top of my lungs, no one in that room could hear me. But there are people in that, you know, that I, I would go back and forth. Uh, Ted Anderson would drive us back and forth, and, and he would just give me in the five minutes. You remember Friendship Village back to the old campus? That was like a minute and a half in the car, right? And he would just give me pointers, say, you know, you could prove this, you could do that instead. But that was really good. That point was really strong. Why don't you work on this or that? My friends, the context for the call to ministry is the local church. And who's the local church? It's us. It's us. And I have the benefit of traveling around this country. I could make a, a long list of the places across this country that don't have pastors right now. There's a church in Northern California. There are 16 churches that send campers to that camp that right now don't have pastors. 16 in Northern California. 16 churches. And Tri-City Baptist Church has been called to do something about that. We have, we have been positioned strategically and with a mission. And it's through International Baptist College and Seminary primarily that we're active in that. But we've been called, you've been called, Tri-City Baptist Church, we, us, we have been called to step up and to try by the grace of God to do something about that. And you're part of that. And I am so grateful for Tri-City Baptist Church. As the president of the college, I know we could not do any of the things that we do without this church's support. You support us financially, the way that you pour your lives into our students. And I, I'm not preaching to people about this because I don't think you're already doing it. I'm just asking us to renew our, our vigor at this and our investment and our energy in this. These young people that come here are rare. Do you know how many people in our country today, young people are raising their hands saying, I'll do it. Do you know how many people are doing that? But I'm here to tell you some of, some of the best young people in the country that are putting up their hands and says, I'll do it, I'm stepping forward. They're right here. And we get the unique privilege of investing in this next generation of young people who are stepping forward. You think that's easy? To step forward in 21st century America into pastoral ministry? No, that takes courage. That takes commitment. It takes sacrifice. They're not stepping into big salaries when they get out of this place. IBC is not, sorry guys, that you're IBC students, I'm sorry. I hope I'm not breaking this to you. IBC is not the pathway to a, to a padded bank account. Sorry, guys. Right? These young people are special. They're not perfect. They got a lot of growing to do. And we have philosophically decided that we will train these young people for local church ministry within the context of the local church. You wouldn't want a doctor operating on you that's never been to a hospital. You don't want a pilot flying you that's never been on a plane. And you don't want a pastor pastoring you who's never been to a church. And for their years of ministry training, we do that. We center that right here because, as I've said before, and I'm going to say it again, so if you forget everything else I said, remember this. The context for the call to ministry, can you say it with me? The context for the call to ministry is the local church. Right here, it's us. This is the context. And we see right here in Timothy that he's within the context of the local church when these people are coming up to him and they're saying, you have the gifts, you have the call. It was in the context of the local church. So the third component of the call to ministry is the recognition of the call by the body of Christ. The Spirit was working in Timothy's day through these prophecies. How is the Spirit working today for this call to ministry? He's working through the Word of God and he's working through the people of God to confirm the call of God. It's right here. It's within church. I want you to see the fourth. Look at chapter 1 and verse 2. To Timothy, how does Paul 
address Timothy? Chapter 1 and verse 2. To Timothy, a true, genuine son in the faith. Turn over to, I love this, this is really touching. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2. To Timothy, and how does he address him in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2? A beloved son. Paul says, you are my genuine beloved son in the faith. Now, Timothy was not the biological son of Paul. In what sense is Paul Timothy's spiritual father? Well, we get some clues reading through this, don't we? Uh, go to 2 Timothy. There's a couple things I just want to pick up in 2 Timothy. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. He says, I think back. It's just, Paul is, is amazed. Every time I think about the fact, Timothy, that your grandma was a believer and that your mom was a believer and that that same faith is in you, I just marvel. He says to Timothy that, from a, that as a child, from a child, you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. We're learning some things here about Paul's, or excuse me, Timothy's past. Timothy did not grow up with a, with a believing dad. He wasn't, uh, you know, prepared by a, a pastor. His dad wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a PK. That wasn't in his heritage. But he did have a believing grandma and a believing mom. And then somewhere along the line, Paul's life intersects with Timothy's. So that Paul himself would say, you are my genuine beloved son. God had done an amazing work in Timothy's life. What kind of world do you think we live in? Do you think we live in a world where the cosmos is just cranking out chaos and the things that happen to us just happen? Or do you think that we live in a world where God is in control and where He's doing things? Which kind of world do you think we live in? And the call to ministry recognizes that God has done a providential work in my life to prepare me for ministry. And the providence of God, right? The providence of God is so, so much easier, easier seen when we look in the rearview mirror. God's plan for your life, when you're driving the car, you're like, ha ha, what are you doing? Right? But when you look back, you can see God had a plan for it. And you just read First and Second Timothy, and you can see that God had providentially prepared Timothy for the work of the ministry. He had given him a believing grandma and a believing mom who had taught him the scriptures from a holy child. And then God, in his care for Timothy, had intersected his life with the great apostle Paul. And at some point, it was inescapable to Timothy that God had done all of that work so that Timothy would be in the ministry. And at some point when you're called to ministry, and I'm preaching to some especially young men, God calls young women as well, but I'm talking especially to young men. When you're working and you're going through life, eventually you'll come to the place where you'll say, God has done all of this stuff in my life for a reason. God's got a purpose for my life and it's inescapable. God has prepared me for ministry. I am convinced, if I can just bear personal testimony, I am convinced that God gave me the mom and the dad that he gave me, that he gave me the experiences in New Mexico and in Africa, and then the educational opportunities that I have, the time that I, that I came here to IBCS to prepare for ministry, the seminary training, the relationships. I, I just look at that, and I, it's just unmistakable to me that God in his care for me has been providentially preparing me for ministry. I'm just convinced of it. God is in charge He's doing something. He has a purpose for our lives. And for some people, God has providentially prepared them so that they would step forward into gospel ministry. And you can detect that story. And then lastly, I want you to see chapter 3 and verse 1. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a pastor, a bishop, an overseer. He desires a good work. 
there is this craving. This is the same word that's used often in our scriptures to talk about uh, sinful lusts. Here it's used positively of a strong, overwhelming desire. I like the word craving. God gives you a craving for the work of the ministry. And here's where the paths depart a little bit. God calls all of us to be committed to the gospel ministry, to the work of the church. That's our first component of the call. God calls all of us to Christ-like character. But as, those people, as, as we apply those things within the church, some people begin to be recognized as having the call. And then others begin to detect, God has sovereignly prepared me for ministry. But in the end, I think this one is one of the deciding components of the call to ministry. And it's a little bit subjective, I understand. But here in chapter 3, verse 1, it says that a, a pastor has a desire for the work of the ministry. Yeah, I remember being uh, fairly young and having opportunities to teach and preach the Word of God. And I would just get done with that and would just think to myself, I don't know that I could be satisfied doing anything else with my life. Just eventually come to the place where you say, man, this is so good. This is so much fun. I love this so much. I would be content if God just let me spend the rest of my life preaching the Word of God. That would just be a dream come true. I was talking to one of our students at IBC a number of years ago. And he was, I was talking about, what do you think God's got for you? What do you, what do you desire to do for him? And he started to describe this ministry opportunity. He wanted to go up to, to rural villages in, in Alaska and, and have a ministry in these rural villages in Alaska. And he just really felt like God was burning him for that, that ministry. And then he stopped and he said to me, but I don't think it's God's will for my life because I would really like to do it. And I just, you know, that, that was a, re, a really revealing statement. And I just looked at this young man and I said, what kind of God do you think we serve? A God who's just, who, who wants you to discern his will by detecting the, the thing you would least like to do? That's your calling. No, what God does in our lives is amazing. As we love him and trust him, as, as his spirit is active in our life, when I delight myself in the Lord, what does He do? He gives me the desires of my heart because as I delight in Him, He changes my heart. And I told this young man, no one wants to do what you just said. No one wants to go to rural Alaska as a pastor and a missionary. God put that desire in your heart. God did it. That's not easy. But you have a desire for it. The call to ministry is not a call to easy. I don't know if you figured it out, but easy's not in the deck. It's not in the deck for anybody. No one gets away with easy. This is a sin-cursed world. No one gets easy. Bill Gates doesn't get easy. Steve Jobs died a miserable death. He didn't get easy. Easy's not in the deck. Ministry's not easy, but it is a good calling. It is worth being desirous of. It is a privilege to be called to serve the Lord. It is Paul who says, if a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. Listen, Paul suffered for the sake of his calling. You could not look at the, at the heritage and the story of Paul and say, boy, Paul got it easy. And as he leaves Timothy in the church at Ephesus, he hasn't handed him easy. But he has said, it's good. When we get to heaven, we're not going to say there, say it on that day, man, I wish I had gotten more of the world. I wish I had had more time with entertainment and, 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 and the things of this world. I'm not saying those things are wrong all the time. I'm just saying that when we get to heaven, the only regrets we'll have is that we did not do more for the Lord. And what he calls us to do to, for him will not be easy. But it will be good. And at some point along the way, God just puts, I think it is from his spirit, puts a craving for the work of the ministry 
in the hearts of some people that they just can't get away from. As I go out and I preach, I, some, I think I preached 60 times this summer in various and sundry places, often to young people. And as I preach to a room full of young people, I've committed before the Lord that as I have opportunity to do that, I'm going to present, as I go to camps and other places, I'm going to present the call to ministry to those young people. Because, my friends, I know that God does not call all into full-time ministry. I know many of you in this room are my proof of that. You are faithfully serving the Lord exactly as you ought to be serving the Lord by being faithful right here at Tri-City Baptist Church, by being faithful to your families. You are doing exactly what God wants you to do. So God does not call all. But my friends, there's no way that he is calling so few. And the Lord of the harvest says this to us. At a time of great need, we need a generation of young people who are going to step up and step forward into the work of the ministry. And the Lord of the harvest says this to us. Pray to the Lord of harvest that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. God is at work. He's running his church. God is in charge of this world. He is preparing people for ministry. The Spirit is active in the hearts of people, creating Christ-like character. And if we could just grab hold of these values, we would see a generation of especially young men who would step forward into local church leadership. And that's the need of the day. And Tri-City Baptist Church, we're doing something about it right here by the grace of God. Would you join me as we close our service? Would you join me in a time of prayer? I want us to pray together as a church family that God would send forth laborers into the harvest field and that in the context of this local church, we would have the privilege of seeing young men and young women called into ministry. Would you join me in that prayer?